Go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds on politics, offering insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Join me, Tyler Foggett, for conversations with the most knowledgeable minds from The New Yorker that will dive deep on the most interesting political story of the week. Then, Susan Glasser, Jane Mayer, and Evan Osnos gather to hash out what's happening in Washington, D.C., with an insider's understanding of the high stakes at this perilous moment for American democracy. Plus, our editor David Remnick will provide you with insightful storytelling with a mix of interviews and profiles. That's all happening on the political scene. Make sure you're following it now, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jason Kander. And I'm Ravi Gupta. And this is Majority 54, the podcast that helps Americans who voted for progress convince those who didn't to join our majority. Ravi, how was your Thanksgiving in Costa Rica? It was amazing. Uh, waves were perfect. I now, I think I now know more people per capita in this town in Costa Rica than I know anywhere else. So it's it's almost like an extension of my neighborhood here in New York at this point. And so, yeah, it was great. I'm, I'm thinking about getting a place down there given the amount of time I've been spending. And, you know, longtime listeners, this podcast probably can be counting now. I think it's my fifth time going there this year. You took up tennis. That's exciting. Took up tennis. Yeah. Every year I try to do one new thing. Uh, last year was surfing, obviously, which I'm continuing, but this year is tennis. I'm trying to do things that I can do later into life and then abandon the things like basketball that I probably shouldn't be doing anymore. You are the one who told me we are too old to play basketball. And, uh, and it's funny, I, as I, as I think about the upcoming baseball season, it's, uh, either for me just happened or upcoming is how I think of it. And, uh, and I was like, you know, maybe I could fit in some basketball this winter. And then I thought, I thought of you in my head, I heard you saying like, we're too old. And then actually not only have you said to me, we're too old to play basketball. I got a buddy a buddy who played in the NBA for 15 years, we're pretty much the exact same age. And not long ago, I was like, hey, you know, I was thinking about going back and playing basketball. And he just retired two years ago. And he's like, no, 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 we're too old to play basketball. <laughs> he was like, like, he was like, I don't play basketball now. I did it. It's over. Can't do it. So, uh, and I just am not doing it because I don't want to get hurt and not be able to play baseball next summer. Now, I don't know how to segue to this. I just want to uh, brag about this fact. Last night, late last night, I turned in to my publisher the final edits. I think it is totally done, done, done of my book, uh, which uh, is big relief. Is it called, what is it called? Jason the Walrus? Is that yes, what? it is. We will get to that one. <laughs> that joke will um, make sense later in this episode. Yeah. No, but congratulations. Yeah. I have had a chance to read at least the earlier version of it, which I think is pretty close to it's what pretty you're close, publishing. Yeah. It's so awesome. Oh, like, thanks, man. like I would say this anyway, cause I'm your friend and I support you, but I have to say like truthfully an amazing book and the way that you use, there are moments when Diana comes in and kind of gives her perspective on different parts, uh, different stories that you tell in different moments in your life. And it's so effective and so compelling. It's amazing. Thanks. I can't wait for it to hit the shelves. Me too. I'm, I'm actually really proud of it. Uh, and it was a lot of work. And um, the first book was easy to write. This book was not easy to write, but this book is way better. And uh, anyway, it comes out July 5th. It's available for pre-order now. It is called Invisible Storm, uh, a soldier's memoir of politics and PTSD. And uh, this is a shameless plug. But with all that, Ravi, bring us up to date. 
Omicron, Omicron, whatever we call it, the new variant of the age of Ultron. That joke's yeah, been made a lot. But <laughs> so many jokes, it. I'm sure, about yeah. this. That's where we are at this point in in the pandemic. Is where I think we're so resilient as a society that we just immediately go to humor about this kind of stuff. But this is a new variant of COVID nineteen that was first discovered in South Africa and Botswana, uh, where scientists ID'd it there. That doesn't necessarily mean it originated there, but that's where they were able to identify it. And that was earlier in November. And it is now spread to over 20 countries. And there are three big questions about this variant. One is, is it more transmissible? Is it more deadly? And is it able to circumvent immunity, either natural immunity or vaccinated immunity? We actually don't know the answer to any of those questions, Jason, but that hasn't stopped people from opining all over the internet about what this means. Jason, how do you think about this news? Well, uh, as far as the opining, you know, the Republicans are out just their first step is let's blame Biden. Let's make people afraid of this and then blame Biden. And it's interesting because as an aside, there's something I want us to, and I know we've talked about this uh, off the air, we're going to focus on more on this show, which is not falling into the trap of being just smug about uh, Republican arguments, which I think you and I uh, and, and this podcast were actually very good at, but we're going to lean into it more. So as an aside, uh, this is a good place to start, which is this thing that we want to focus on, which is... Um, it doesn't mean respecting their argument or saying their argument is valid, but recognizing when their arguments are effective, um, because as we know on the left, what what we all have a tendency to do is think that we can like laugh arguments out of existence, uh, and that's not actually true. And so, when you think about this, uh, there's precedent for this approach. And so, you know, we have some audio uh, that the RNC, I think it is, is running about this. What I would say is, I'm going to shut down the virus, not the country. I'm not going to shut down the country. I'm going to shut down the virus. I'm going to shut down the virus. I'm going to shut down the virus. I'll shut down the virus, not the economy. I'm going to shut down the virus. Once we shut down the virus, I'm going to shut down the virus. And we have to acknowledge that while this is totally unfair, right? Like, I mean, it's it's super aggravating because they're actively trying to make it harder to fight the virus. And then they're going, hey, I thought you said you were going to shut down the virus. And that is totally unfair. And it, and it makes you crazy. But you have to recognize that that's effective because Biden's in charge and the Democrats are in charge. And this is what we said we were going to do. And the other piece to this is that it has precedent for working. And that precedent is Obamacare, because we said Obamacare was going to work. And then we put it in. And as we put it in, they they got in our way and made it so we couldn't fully put in the vision that the President Obama had for Obamacare. And then over time, they chipped away at it more and more. Marco Rubio took pieces out of it. And then they went after Supreme Court cases that took more pieces out of it to the point where it was a shell of itself and it was less effective. And then they said, look, it didn't work. So we can't sit back and go, oh, this won't work when a huge selling point, a huge part of the Biden Harris campaign was we're going to shut down the virus. And it doesn't matter that the Republicans, I mean, it matters. We got to say it, but we can't just be like people will know that the Republicans are the ones who are making it hard. Yeah. And, you know, I was reading Dan Pfeiffer's newsletter this morning and, and he basically cataloged all the different conflicting Republican arguments about Omicron. And this is basically what he said. He says, Republicans are making the following arguments. 
One, the dangers of COVID-19 are being exaggerated by the government. Two, Biden isn't doing enough to control the virus. Three, vaccines shouldn't be trusted and definitely shouldn't be mandated. And four, that Trump deserves more credit for developing vaccines. And if he were in charge, they would have already introduced a new vaccine to account for Omicron. I'm going to add another one. I'm going to add a fifth rationale, which I just read on the internet. This is from Matt Walsh, who we'll get to later in the podcast from The Daily Wire. He is arguing today that we should just let Omicron spread because noted epidemiologist Matt Walsh has determined that this is not a deadly variant. And he's like, this is just like the common cold. So let's just let it spread. Now, it could be that it's less deadly. I'm not sure Matt Walsh has access to information we don't have. You know, at at my reading... We don't he, know whether he, it's he more or less have, deadly. He may have access to information we don't have, but it's not like accurate <laughs> information. But this is where we are, is the, the GOP has just abandoned any sense of consistency. And to your point, that doesn't mean we just laugh it off, right? right. There are certain laughable arguments that have been in the public square, like Governor Abbott of Texas saying that Biden has lost control of the border and there are South Africans now making their way over the borders. Your point is a good one, which is they are all, and and Dan's point in the newsletter is a good one, which is they're all over the place and they're trying to have it every which way. And in fact, you know, the the Stephen Miller clip um, that you sent me, I think spells it out perfectly. President Trump was still in office, by the way, we'd already have modified vaccines to deal with the new variants, which is a great point. President Trump brought us brought us vaccines in record times, which he made voluntary, not mandatory. And he'd have updates, too. Okay. (laughs) This thing, Jason, I know you're going to jump in here. This thing was discovered on November 9th. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I don't understand. There's a few things happening here. All right. And and this, I think, is the key to this conversation, because like you listed all the conflicting points. And you also said something last week uh, in our Thanksgiving episode, which uh, a lot of people, you know, it was Thanksgiving when it was released. And so it had uh, there there are probably a lot of people who didn't get a chance to listen to it. And I suggest that they do because it was a great episode. But one of the things you talked about is the importance of like when people say things that make no sense, just like playing reporter, kind of writing it down reading it back to them. And this is a good example. Like if somebody tries to go in these different directions, you got to like, okay, all right, so this is the case. And I'll, and you got to go slow. You can't attack them. Because what yeah. Miller's doing here is a thing that because he's on TV, he has to do, right? So he starts with the, uh, you know, Trump would have already fixed this, which reminds me of like when you were a kid in the backyard and like you were playing war. And I've said this before about the Republicans, but like you're, you're playing war or cops and robbers or whatever. And the kid who magically is like, I have a bulletproof vest. And then and then later he's like, well, I can dodge bullets, you know, and it's just so <laughs> yeah. frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> so he's doing that by going like, well, President Trump would have already had a new vaccine for this thing that we just found out about a few minutes ago. And that's annoying, but like, you know, go after that if you want. But then he has to, he remembers that he's on Fox and that the people listening are like, what do you need the vaccine for? This isn't even real. So then he throws out and he also would have made it not mandatory, which is great. Like, so he's got to do all these different things. And so I think this is what you do in conversations with people and what we should be doing, which is we have to make them own all of these things at the same time. Yeah. And I also think one thing, yeah, and you don't have to write it down sometimes. It's like what you're saying is just slow down and ask questions. It'd be like, okay, so yeah. this thing was discovered on November 9th to walk me through how you think a vaccine would have been created. And, you know, without a mandate, what percentage of people are going to take this thing? And, and what do you know about epidemiology that we don't know that tells us that that's going to be enough? Uh, but there's another thing I would point out to your right-leaning friends on this, which is there was a time, I want to acknowledge, where 
there were uh, members of the left who were, I think, obsessed with the pandemic politics. That time, I think, is largely gone. You know, we all had the sort of the, the COVID cop friend who was like, you know, telling you you were evil for for ha- hoarding masks in March of 2020 and then told you you're evil for not wearing a mask in April of 2020, right? We all had those friends. Uh, those people, are, I don't find many of those people anymore. And I don't find many people who are like, we need to shut down all businesses. Like Biden, for example, said there's not going to be shutdowns. Same thing was said by the leadership in New York. He said it's not a time to panic, right? So I think that the days of members of the left-wing coalition who were addicted to pandemic politics are largely over. You can always find in a country of hundreds of millions of people counterexamples. But I do think that the right cannot quit this opiate of pandemic politics. And they just they 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 can't live without the grievance of pandemic politics. They and they're just searching constantly because Biden didn't call for shutdowns. So they're just searching for another way to be aggrieved here because of Omicron. And they've just abandoned any sense of consistency. And we need to pin them down and, and force them to be consistent here. Well, it's, it's basic political insurgency. And that's what people need to understand about this is that it's not a matter of like, they're not going to be consistent because they don't have an interest in being consistent. What they have an interest in being is obstinate because yep. we have to remember what was the major argument of the Biden-Harris campaign above all other things? It was competence, right? It was a return to normalcy and competence. I mean, I think one of the most effective speeches of the entire campaign was any time that Obama would go out and say, I promise you, you'll wake up in the morning and you won't have to be worried about what Joe or Kamala has tweeted. You won't you won't feel that drama all the time. And that's largely been the case. But yep. But if that's the main selling point, if that's your center of gravity and it continues to be, then it means that they don't have to be ideologically consistent. All they have to do is every single day go out and say, this isn't working. Right. So if it's if they have an interest in making people afraid of Omicron, while also inconsistently making people afraid of vaccines and telling people that COVID isn't real because they're not responsible for what they say. And it is very difficult to make them responsible for what they say. So what ultimately has to happen is that the Democrats in charge have to do the best job they can, despite this political insurgency. And we have to do the best job we can in making the case that we've been successful, which is why when you look at things like Build Back Better, it's such a huge problem when we debate what's in or what's out of it you know, on TV without talking about how great it's going to be. It's also a huge problem, as my friend Stephen Weber pointed out this week, when we do things like, and I'm going on a bit of a tangent, but when we do things like the White House going out and and claiming that Build Back Better is going to make preschool free. Well, a lot of people are still going to be paying a little bit for preschool. Like, don't don't set expectations that we're not going to be able to meet. Say, like, it's for most people, it's going to make a huge difference and you're not going to have to pay for, for hardly anything if at all. Like set a reasonable expectation that we can meet. And, you know, we were trying to win an election. So I understand why President Biden, he was doing the right thing by saying he's going to shut down the virus because his plan would have shut down the virus if it were unencumbered. But we have to keep in mind, what are the expectations that we can meet? Totally. And I think like part of the frustrating thing that I want to prepare our listeners for is that when there's no one leader of the opposition, like Trump is kind of the leader of the opposition, but we're not a parliamentary system, so it doesn't work exactly that way. For the next around year and a half to two years until there's a nominee for the Republicans, it's just going to be easier for them to to pull this kind of stuff because the voters aren't going to be 
pushing any one person to be consistent. Uh, so that's one problem, number one. Like another issue that we should be thinking about is this is just a reminder that this pandemic is global and that for all the energy we're putting into getting that extra 40% of people in this country to get vaccinated, we need to be putting some segment of that energy into access to vaccines around the world because there's still a lot of places around the world that have less than 10% of people vaccinated. And that those are just a lot of people who want the vaccine. And so I think we need a, a more robust debate here about licensing the patents or just opening up the patents and giving capacity to other countries because it's the right thing to do, but also because it is the uh, even if we're totally self-interested, it's it would make us safer. It's a great point. There's huge gains to be made uh, all over the world. I mean, if, if we've plateaued here in how many people we can get to take the vaccine, well, why don't we focus on all the gains we can make everywhere else? What interferes with your happiness? Is there something that is preventing you from achieving your goals? Obviously, for me, as is pretty well known now, in order to be able to achieve my goal of trying to get to happiness, uh, I had to go through therapy for PTSD. I'm an evangelical believer uh, in the power of therapy. That's why our sponsor, BetterHelp, is so important. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. This is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. Send a message to your counselor anytime and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions all without ever having to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. And BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they can make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. And so I want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com M54. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, .com/m54 This holiday season Everlywell can help you give more. Everlywell offers affordable at-home lab tests that give you trusted physician-reviewed results. You choose from tests that include food sensitivity, metabolism, sleep and stress, thyroid, and so much more. So, if you have for instance a relative who's like Ravi, somebody who's an optimizer, somebody who's always trying to like figure out the next thing or like like me and Diana, like if we weren't already a client of Everlywell, it'd be a tremendous gift for us. Like this is a way for you to be like, "Hey, I got you this cool test where you can find out all sorts of things about your body and your health, which is going to guide your eating and your exercise. Here's how it works. Everlywell ships your test straight to your door with everything needed for a simple sample collection. And then you return the test to a CLIA certified lab with a prepaid shipping label. And then your physician reviewed results and insights are sent to your device in just days. This holiday, give more of what matters with an Everlywell at-home lab test. For our listeners, Everlywell is offering a special discount of 20% off an at-home lab test at everlywell.com slash majority54. That's everlywell.com slash majority54 for 20% off your at-home lab test. That's everlywell.com slash majority54. For something a little different, but not that different. Ravi, there, was a, there were a few dust-ups on the hill uh, this week. 
Yeah, and you know there was a a forceful and vigorous debate on substance that just got <laughs> really really passionate. No, I'm kidding. Uh, this was a uh, a series of spats between members of Congress, were basically name calling. And this reminds me of when I was a school principal. I'd call, you know, I'd hear about something happening out there in the school, and I would bring the students into my office, and one at a time, I'd ask them what happened. And honestly, I'd be like Charlie from It's Always Sunny with the with the sort of blackboard trying to figure out this person said this thing and this person said that thing and in the end it would make no sense whatsoever but everybody would be aggrieved that's essentially what's happening here now i don't want to both sides this this is a very much problem of one or two particular members uh who are uh you know super fringe and basically this all started november 20th when lauren bobert the congresswoman from i think western colorado spoke at an event in her district and essentially said she made a joke about being in the elevator with uh congresswoman omar and basically implying that that bobert felt safe because ilhan omar didn't have a backpack on basically just comparing her to a terrorist on I, Friday. I mean, like calling her a terrorist. Just Basically like, calling I mean, her just, a terrorist. Yeah. 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 And then- uh, She even like made up she a part where that. there was like a Capitol Police. I mean, it was like- a Oh, yeah. Totally made up story, but All didn't sorts tell of it like a made up story. All yeah. sorts of issues with it. And it's apparently not the first time she's told this story. Then on Friday, she apologized, sort of. It was kind of like a general apology. She said to anyone in the Muslim community, I offended. And then <laughs> said she would reach out to Omar, which she did. They spoke on Monday, did not go very well. Apparently, according to both accounts, Omar ended the call after, I think, Bobert was basically doing one of those things. If you've ever had somebody sort of try to apologize to you, but they're like, I'll apologize to you and you apologize for, and then insert totally unrelated thing. That's essentially what happened. But the unrelated thing was apologize for... I don't know, stance on Israel, Palestine or something. I don't even know. It was but like, like something attacks totally unrelated. on America yeah. or something. Yeah, totally unrelated. My favorite thing about this uh, is that then when Congresswoman Boebert goes out and does her video recounting a phone call, she gets to the part where she gets hung up on and she's like, it's classic cancel culture. Yes. <laughs> and, yes. and I just thought like, whoa, we are, we are really stretching the bounds of cancel culture. Like, like canceling a phone call like 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 ending just saying like this conversation's over and hanging up the phone that's now cancel culture like whoo yeah i mean we're gonna get to the point where if a, if a republican doesn't win the lottery they're gonna be calling it being canceled <laughs> it's just like it's uh, like i mean man. It's, anyway. it's wild yeah it's it's unbelievable i'm not gonna do my whole rant about there is a such thing i know some of our listeners really don't appreciate this but <laughs> i it's just a disservice to those of us who believe there is such a thing um but okay nancy mace who is a a congresswoman a freshman congresswoman from south carolina a republican very very gently criticized bobert uh in a kind of both sides statement saying i call out kind of this kind of stuff both sides and and said you know that Bobert should apologize. And then Marjorie Taylor Greene jumps in calling Mace trash. So to be clear now, it's Republican on Republican now. And then Mace clapped back at Marjorie Taylor Greene, corrected her spelling, and then basically called her batshit crazy and a 9-11 truther. And Mace, to be clear, is interesting because she's at least pushed back on some GOP nonsense over time. She she voted to hold Bannon in contempt. She she was critiquing those who refused to certify the election. I'm not saying she's perfect. There's a lot of stuff in her background that, that one could find issues with, but she seems to be at least more independent than most Republicans. 
I'm exhausted even recounting this. Uh, other than the fact that it is our, you know, our country might be fucked because this is the best and this is the best we can do in Congress, I guess, at this point. And these are the people we have given such enormous responsibility. Other than that, Jason, what what if anything should we make of this? I just think what we should make of it is the enormous level of cowardice of uh, Kevin McCarthy and why we should be so concerned about losing the House. Because, I mean, if, if that guy's going to be speaker, I mean, he will be. I mean, right now it's one thing when he uh, is too afraid of taking on the, the fringe elements of his own party uh, when they're in the minority. Like he's too afraid in the minority party to do it when he's in the majority and they have actual power and can do things. Uh, that's going to be a huge problem um, because, oh, yeah. you know, I mean, when, when you when you think about just if you go back a few years to like Speaker Boehner and what he was doing to, you know, I'm not saying the guy is particularly admirable or anything, but he was open about saying, like, I have some fringe elements in my party and I'm trying to govern and keep them at bay. Like it's so much worse now. And McCarthy is clearly so much more craven. Um, yeah. You know, like Boehner was willing to walk away and McCarthy is like, I mean, the dude like makes his pilgrimage down to Mar-a-Lago every once in a while. So, I mean, right. it's, um, well, I think it's frightening. Imagine that he has a 10 to 20 vote majority, which is very likely of people who are largely like this, because that's who's winning these primaries uh, mm -hmm. around the country by and large, where he, he essentially can't do anything and can't even be leader if he doesn't placate them. Now, there's this very strong likelihood that he's not speaker be just because of the way these things play out. But, he, but even if he is, he's going to be totally captive to these people. Every successive new freshman is not going to be, we're not talking about Nancy Mace's winning around the country. It's going to be more the Marjorie Taylor Greene, Bobert variety. And it's just, it's kind of scary and it's scary in Congress, but to talk about a, a related issue, it's scary in issue in sort of offices around the country that we're not paying attention to, which are some of these electioneering offices you know, shout out to to the Washington Post, um, Amy Gardner, Tom Hamburger, and Josh Dossie had a story a couple of days ago about Trump allies being placed into all these election positions around the country, everything from local commissions to state commissions. And in they talked about all sorts of places, but in Michigan in particular, they have these canvassing boards where basically like election truthers are being placed on these canvassing boards. Uh, and you know these are people who are counting the votes. These are people who are hearing appeals on the votes. These are people who have to certify the, the votes. And things are so bad that even a former GOP chair of Michigan uh, was sounding the alarm bells. This is, uh, this is what Jeff Timmer, who's the former uh, GOP chair for Michigan, had to say. He said, this is a Great big flashing red warning sign. The officials who fulfilled their legal duty after the last election are now being replaced by people who are pledging to throw a wrench in the gears of the next election. It tells you that they're planning nothing but chaos, and that they have a strategy to disrupt the certification of the next election. Jason, I know you've, you've spent a lot of time on voter protection. It feels to me that we've taken a step back. Like Not only have we not passed... You know, not because of the will of Democrats necessarily, other than Mansion Cinema. Uh, we have we have not only not passed reforms to the election, but we're finding ourselves with a sort of cancer spreading around this country that's going to potentially play out in the next few elections. 
Yeah. I mean, it's interesting how, you know, the Washington Post played it pretty straight up, but some of, you know, the other outlets, whenever this is happening in a state, they, they, you know, look at it and they say, oh, will these, uh, these moves be helpful to Trump in 2024? And it's like, you, you need to mention that it means that you're talking about after the election, right? Like, like, it's not like, you know, trying to get a, a legislative majority so you can get, you know, better districts. I mean, this is like, Will these people be helpful in letting him take power, not win the election? That's super frightening. And what what I think it means is people need to focus on like they need to keep an eye on the secretary of state offices uh, that are on the ballot uh, in 2022. And, you know, Michigan is one of them. Um, you know, Jocelyn Benson uh, is the secretary of state there. She's going to be up in 2022. Um, and that means that if if you get one of these acolytes, uh, people who believe in this as the secretary of state, or even frankly, just a somebody who like doesn't believe in it, but is one of these typical GOP folks right now, uh, like GOP politicians who just, you know, are too afraid to really stand up to it. it that's all you really need. Pretty much 90% of the Republican politicians uh, who would be a potential secretary of state, if one of them becomes secretary of state in Michigan, and then 2024, you know, we win Michigan, but then they try to overturn it. It's going to matter a lot whether or not the state is represented in court by a secretary of state who's saying this is wrong or whether you have a secretary of state who just goes along with it. It doesn't fight. So if you're in Michigan, like this is one of the most important things going on is the secretary of state's race. I mean, other places, Arizona, my friend Adrian Fontes, who's been on the show, is running for secretary of state in Arizona. It, it, no different than in, in some ways, it's probably uh, you know worse in terms of the people at the local level who are trying to get in to undo these sorts of things um in arizona um, yeah. colorado uh you know uh secretary griswold is up there um i'm just like looking yeah, through and these the, and the, the the article talks about a lot of this stuff happening in colorado too you mm -hmm. know george is going to be up in in 2022 i mean like these are states that are going to matter a ton in in 24 minnesota let's see nevada i mean do these you know these are all states that it came down to uh the last time around um and so you know wisconsin People need to take a look and who's running for secretary of state or who is the secretary of state and either needs to be supported or kicked out and get involved in those races. Yeah, this reminds me of if you remember, I know you do because that's how we met was in the period after the 2016 election. There was all this energy on the left. There was one for something arena. We're all supporting candidates up and down the ballot. We had to keep turning people away. I, I, I often would joke that I almost wanted to start don't run for something because I had so many people walking through my door who were unqualified for different offices. Amanda, I'm kidding. I, I'm, I don't really mean that. But the, <laughs> but there was just such such energy, and we were directing people to all these local offices and everything like that. This is basically the version, the bizarro funhouse version of that on the Republican side. But they're directing them towards directly their school boards and election commissions, right? And mm -hmm. this is super dangerous from a messaging perspective. What can you do at home? This is at least my advice is obviously pay attention to these positions in your local community, advocate for the right people, support the right people. But also when you're thinking of like the simplest argument for why you vote Democratic, this is mine, which is I am complicated. I've talked about this on the podcast. I have views that are eclectic, more that line up with Democrats than Republicans for sure. But I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit different than a lot of Democrats. But the reason why I don't 
have to think about it very much about who I'm voting for is because of this shit. And I, and this is, I find the most persuasive argument with my friends who are more right than me, but who are like honest, honestly trying to figure out what's happening in this country. Like I was down in North Carolina, I was crossfitting with a few friends and I said, look, you could believe all the things you believe about the, the, the Democratic Party taking things too far, about the size of government, about abortion, whatever. But we can only come together in this terrain of a democracy, if, if if we preserve these institutions, and there's unquestionably one party that is dedicated to the destruction of these institutions. And the more well-versed you are in, in talking about that threat, the more you can override some of these other issues by painting the picture of the threat to this democracy. Because you know, a well-intentioned person, when they hear this kind of stuff, is going to be like, well, that is pretty shitty. That's terrible. It's a great point. I mean, and it, particularly that it's a it's a very compelling way to not engage in in all of these little ticky tack issues here and there that might have convinced somebody that they might be Republican is to say, okay, that's fine. Like you can think whatever you want about those, but they're not going to matter if we don't have a democracy. And we actually have the advantage of being the Democratic Party. Like yep. we should lean into, yeah, one party is Democratic and the other party yeah. is anti-democratic. And I, I think that, that that's something that we should lean into for sure. If you've ever wanted to make your home feel safer, there's no better time than now. This week, our friends at Simply Safe are giving Majority 54 listeners early access to all their holiday deals, 40% off their award-winning home security. We love Simply Safe because it has everything that you need to make your home safe, indoor and outdoor cameras, comprehensive sensors, all monitored around the clock by trained professionals who send help the instant you need it. Like, let's be real, during the holidays, you're more likely uh, to get broken into. People know that you have stuff in your house. They know that there's it's more likely that they're going to try and take packages off your front step, that kind of thing. It's a perfect time uh, to go out and, and get a Simply Safe system. You can easily customize the system for your home online in minutes and even get free custom recommendations from Simply Safe. And these are Simply Safe's biggest discounts of the year. You can get a complete home security system starting at just over $100. So take advantage of Simply Safe's holiday deals and get 40% off your new home security system by visiting simplysafe.com/majority54. Again, that's simplysafe.com/majority54 for 40% off your entire system. I've dealt with a lot of people in my life who have gotten themselves into some kind of financial hole. And one thing I've noticed is that often it's not that they don't want to get out of it. It's just that they don't know how. It's often uh, a daunting thought to just even think about what's the first step. And that's why I like Upstart. Upstart is a fast and easy way to pay off your debt with a personal loan all online. So whether it's paying off credit cards, consolidating high interest debt, or funding personal expenses, over a million people have used Upstart to get one fixed monthly payment with a clear payoff date. Rather than looking at credit score alone, Upstart considers other factors like your income, your current employment, and credit history to find you a smarter rate for your loan. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash majority54. That's upstart.com slash majority54. Don't forget to use our URL to let them know that we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. Upstart.com slash majority54. Well, Jason, we're trying to bring more assets from the right wing into this podcast, not because we want to drive our our audience crazy, but because we want to be responsive to the kinds of propaganda that our audience is dealing with in their communities. And so essentially, we're going to dissect 
right-wing media on a regular basis. And we have a juicy one this week. And there is this guy named Matt Walsh, who I think is a Daily Wire veteran. And he just released a book. I, I think it might be number one on Amazon. I read that this morning. Uh, and I think it's called Johnny the Walrus. It's a children's book. I'm going to read the description of this book for you, Jason. And I want you to, as a, as a noted children's author, Jason, I want you to give us your take on this book. So this is the description of this book. Johnny is a little boy with a big imagination. One day he pretends to be a big, scary dinosaur. The next day he's a knight in shining armor or a playful puppy. But when the internet people find out Johnny likes to make believe, he's forced to make a decision between the little boy he is and the things he pretends to be. And he's not allowed to change his mind. Jason. Give us your review just based on this this back of the like what we would do in middle school when we'd be assigned a book when, that we didn't want to read. Like just review this for us <laughs> without having read it. Uh well, first I love the words, I love the phrase internet people. Um yep. which I you know, especially because as far as I can tell, Matt, what Walsh, is Matt Walsh is basically an yep. internet troll. Uh that's pretty much and, and he's written like a book to troll everyone uh via a children's book. You know, I watched uh, the clip that uh, you sent of him on Tucker Carlson. Matt Walsh joins us tonight to explain. Matt, congrats on branching out. What is this book? Uh, well, this is Johnny the Walrus. I have embraced my true calling as a, as a children's author, hence the cardigan. It's all about a child who's you know, very imaginative. He likes to pretend to be different things. And one day he pretends to be a walrus. And unfortunately, his mother is... Uh, is very progressive and thus confused. And so she's convinced by the internet and by society that if your child is, is identifying as something, then he really is that thing. Yeah, if you believe you're a walrus, doesn't mean you're actually a walrus. And uh, you, know, you might also draw other comparisons. Maybe like if a young boy says that he's a girl, doesn't mean that he actually is a girl. See, the point here is that, is that biology is not uh, malleable. Look, uh, this is clearly one of those quote unquote children's books that's like a novelty item, right? I mean, it's, I don't know. I'm sure some people will read this to their child. Uh, in fact, I saw in the clip, uh, there was footage of him reading to children with this book. Um, but it, you know, the idea is, is that it's like a anti-trans and anti, uh, anti-LGBT. It basically is just like this conservative viewpoint on gender identity, gender norms to, I guess, indoctrinate kids. But but they would argue to defend kids against indoctrination. He says in the clip with Carlson, he says, unfortunately, was it Johnny? And unfortunately, the main character, Johnny's mother is very progressive. Yep. <laughs> That's part yep. of the story. Yeah. Um, they, yeah. This is the larger lesson, I think, of all this is this comes at a time, I think, in the past 24 hours, there's news that Trump allies are creating their own publishing house. And this was published by the Daily Wire. Mm. So, and you have the the Trump Media Company, which is going to be launching at some point. I think they did a SPAC, like a special special purpose acquisition corporation or whatever, which is like a way to take something public, like a company public. I think this is very serious. I know that there was like the web page that Trump put out that like was pretending to be a social media company that wasn't, but there is a concerted, well funded, right wing publishing apparatus, and I don't think it should be illegal. Right. They I think they want me to say, all right, like we want to shut your voices down. I think it's American as much as I, I don't love all these views, like for people to have outlets for their views, because otherwise it gets driven underground. So people should be debating these things in public. I just think that people should listeners should be aware that there is a growing uh, right wing media operation that is not just straight news. Now they, they viewed the arts 
as an area where they have lost ground and they think of Hollywood and publishing as left-wing sort of cultures and they're starting their own. And that is, I think, a notable trend in society that, that everybody should be aware of because it is going to have huge consequences for the future. It's a great point, man. I hadn't even thought about that. It's kind of depressing, right? Because um, the truth is, is that most stuff that's created for children uh, has a message that's about, you know, being kind to other children, right? Yeah. And and so when you, I guess when I think about children's books that are about inclusivity uh, and kindness, I don't think of them as being progressive or coming from an ideological point of view. But I suppose that's missing the point that there's a good portion of America that that's what they see when they see that. And that's sad because that means that if if this is the message that's being sent to you through the books that your parents are reading to you, that means when you get to like fifth or sixth grade and there's a kid in your class who decides that they're gay, well, I mean, that can be the difference in how that kid is treated. Uh, Right. And that's super sad. And yeah, it is something we have to be watchful of. This stuff can be effective. For example, if you take like a left-wing version of this, which is uh, Glee, the TV show, like the fact that they they humanize uh, the gay experience uh, for kids in high school was such a watershed moment, and that mattered. Now, do I do I I don't know like whether that was the goal. They just probably were representing different voices, like different types of kids in school that would be a member of a Glee club or just exist generally. But it had the effect of helping people humanize an experience that they might not have humanized before. But I think if you just are so heavy handed by it, like we'd made fun of Ben Shapiro about this before. Like I think when it was a book or something you had written, which was so silly that it was, it was laughable, but there are like these, like, I think sometimes these things can be effective when they're like subtle, like the right is, it is obsessed with, for instance, the show called Yellowstone, which I actually really like. Uh, and it's a show about this Kevin Costner, who, by the way, is a Democrat, I think, because he supported J.D. Shulton, is like a ranch owner in Montana. And he's like trying to beat back the, you know, the the Yankees coming, the, the kind of the, the L.A. crowd coming in to take his land and all that. I don't think Taylor Sheridan had like a, the creator of the show had like a right wing goal for this show, but the right wing has decided it's like like a show that represents some idea for them. Now, I think if that show were originally in the hands of Matt Walsh, it would be a shitty show. So like I'm kind <laughs> yeah. of a two mad Because it'd be the you government. Know. You know? Yeah, it, it would be yeah. just too it, they'd go too far. Yeah. But I think like to to use your point of taking it would be just it, its goal wouldn't be entertainment. It would be propaganda. And whenever you do that, you it's really hard to be entertaining as a second goal, right? So my point is, I want to kind of take your point that you started the podcast with, though, is I want to take them seriously and say, all right, they're going to get this stuff right. They're going to they're like an organism that's evolving, like our COVID-19, I guess, like a virus. They're going to get better at this stuff over time. And we just need to keep an eye on it and and not just laugh at it. Like you're saying, like when you're looking at it, you're like, okay, I could see a version of this working over time. So so my question is, because we know we're living in this choose your own reality media world, which is scary, right? Like, I mean, that's Fox and everything else and social media. You can choose your own reality and put yourself in your bubble. And this represents like, it's just starting earlier and earlier in, in life. So the question is like everything else with these broken norms at every level is, do we counter it or do we try to do it better? Or is that the only way to counter it, right? Does that mean that then there has to be content for kids 
that's for kids on the left. And then, yep. you know, I mean, I, I guess that's what it means. Here, I, here's I, my take. And I think this is something that will resonate with you is that politics is about competing stories. And the question is like on what terrain, the terrain keeps shifting. Like, is it Hollywood? Is it? And, and if we're being honest, like what it means to be liberal has changed over time. Hollywood's version of liberal 20 years ago would probably be conservative today, right? I want to acknowledge that. But, but in general, Hollywood has been left of center as it relates to the way that our country's politics has been. And that's something that I think Democrats have taken for granted. I think they need to now like, imagine a world where publishing, Hollywood, and all that are more equally polarized. And that's just a world that we need to think about. That means that we have to be more effective in telling stories in all mediums and telling a consistent story about America. And this gets to something we've talked about before, which is there's this reimagining of masculinity right now that I think is at the heart of the Republican Party right now. And I think we've gone from the country club Republicans to and evangelical Republicans to now the UFC Republicans, the Barstool Sports Republicans, this this idea that what it means to be a man is to be a Republican. This is their most durable identity, I think, within the party that's relatively new, in my opinion. And I, I think more about that than anything else, because we take for granted that the fiscal conservatives are going to be Republicans or that the evangelicals are. I think what is new is that you could be somebody who's for legalization. You could be for gay marriage. You could be, you can even support the Build Back Better bill, but you're listening to Rogan and you're listening to Ben Shapiro. Not that he's like the, the symbolism of manhood mm -hmm. or whatever, but they are repurposing this idea of like, if you're a, a, a UFC watching sports fan, you're a Republican. That's your identity. Well, you, actually your point is right on about Shapiro because they're trying to change the symbol of, of masculinity and manhood away from, I mean, look, it wasn't like it was super helpful when somebody like Ben Shapiro couldn't be seen as masculine. But right. the, the, the problem is that what they're trying to do is say that it has nothing to do with anything other than your views. And if your views are intolerant, uh, like Ben Shapiro's, then that's masculine. That's scary. That's a good point, especially because that's not just a way for them to try to capture white male votes, it, it is like a Trojan horse, because then what they do is they try to say that those values and supporting those values are patriotic and are American. Like that's the whole idea. Here's the project for listeners, and I'd love your ideas on this, is that as I think we're, we're both two bro-y kind of guys who like to talk about sports and things like that, and but we're produced by a, a all-female media company. Shout out to Sheer and Jenny. I think they just got Forbes 30 under 30 today, which is huge. Oh, that's cool. Uh, I didn't know that. We're in this kind of space where we, we like to be dudes who play sports and talk about stuff, but we also acknowledge the inequalities over time and some of the more toxic elements of masculinity. We try to, right? We're definitely not perfect. And there's this dual project of combating the repurposing of masculinity from that crowd, the sort of Dana White, you know, Dave Portnoy kind of crowd with the the need to fix our shit as dudes and that is a dual project and so this actually could be a good lead into grab an aura if you don't mind because i have a i have a thing on this Go uh, for it, yeah. so great so i've been working on this media company called lost debate and we j are just about to announce later today a multi-million dollar fund to fund new projects and storytelling around breaking through polarization we put a couple of priorities in this document, but 
I'm leaving it open-ended and I'm particularly interested in ideas that are not obviously political and newsy, but that have a goal of advancing the cause of depolarizing society. And this whole world of like the UFC, barstool, cultural, political angle is exactly the kind of stuff I'm thinking about, which is like, is there something like a podcast, a, a TikTok series, a YouTube series, a movie, even a book or whatever, an idea that you have where you're like... I can take this area that's outside of politics and and cover it in a unique way that also can advance the mission of depolarizing our society and countering misinformation. If you can come up with creative ways to do that, please do. You can go to my Instagram at, at Ravi M. Gupta. I'll be posting something that will be up by the time this podcast goes up where you can see how to apply. I'm leaving it very open-ended and we're, we're, we want to fund good ideas and also support it through technical support. So uh, send us your ideas. I'm going to pitch a show about a football coach from Kansas City who goes to to England to coach European football, and uh, it's going to be a mess. That sounds a great idea. Yeah, I know. It's going to be huge. Thanks, everybody, uh, for listening. We're looking for listeners who want to prompt us to what they want to talk about uh, on the show, what they want to hear talked about on the show. As usual, uh, you can leave us a voicemail at 508-687-2589, 508-687-2589. I'm at Jason Kander on Instagram and Twitter. As he just said, Ravi is at Ravi M. Gupta on Twitter and Instagram. The show is at Majority54 on Twitter. Remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today. Majority 54 is a Wonder Media Network production. It's produced by Grace Lynch and Edie Allard. Theme music provided by Kemet Coleman. And special thanks to Diana Kander. I was actually on the plane on the way back from Costa Rica, and this couple were sharing earbuds watching Ted Lasso. And I almost <laughs> wanted to shake them and be like, hey, he was on our show the week that that thing came out. <laughs> we knew before anybody. We told y'all. They, they would be like, okay, great, crazy man. Hi, listeners. It's Robbie with a question for you. What if instead of being on the brink of disaster, we're on the cusp of a better world? For that answer, I recommend listening to the What Could Go Right podcast. Each week, Progress Network founders Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Varvalukas dive into the biggest news and most pressing topics of our time, from elections to climate change, and make the case for a brighter future with guests like Harvard professor Arthur C. Brooks and California State Senator Robert Hertzberg. Progress is on the way. Find out on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts.